Welcome to the VBAC Link Podcast. This is Julianne Megan here with you today, and we are really excited about our guest today. I was just reading her bio, and then I was reading a little bit about her and her birth, and then like I had this aha moment, and I'm like, wait a minute, are you the one that we were talking to before you had your baby? And she's like, yes, I was. And so we have this like really fun story, kind of a little like of a established relationship, I guess, before the birth and after the birth. And it's always fun to be able to talk to people that have reached out to us before they have their baby and then hear from them after they have their baby. And I am so excited to hear the full story. Um, But before I tell you what made her story stand out to me, I'm going to read a little bit of her bio and that I thought was really cute. And If you can hear my three-year-old in the background, she escaped from quarantine upstairs. My my husband will come down soon and rescue her, rescue me from her. But but Sarah's bio is really, really cute. She said she's a working mom of two tiny humans and two not-so-tiny cats. She has a quirky sense of humor and an affinity for superhero movies. And that's where I was like, okay, we've got to talk about this because superhero movies. I really love superhero movies now, but before I got married, I like didn't even know the difference between Batman and Superman. Now I know and I have a very strong opinion about Batman. We won't go into that though. But um I married into this, I married a geek and he is all about all the superheroes and the comic books and everything. And so I've come to really love the superhero movies and all of those things. And it's kind of a sentimental part of my life. And so that made me really happy. And she's part of the um American Sign Language community. Her oldest is hard of hearing. So everyone in her family is learning American Sign Language. And that is really neat. And when I was younger, I was like obsessed with sign language. Like I was, I like went to a class and I had a book and like was learning how and teaching my brother and sister how to do all the signs and stuff like that. But I haven't done any of that for, oh my gosh, it's been way more than 20 years, which really makes me feel old to say that. But anyways, the part of her story that me actually before we do that should we do a, re- a review of the week megan sure yeah sure. let's do a review of the week and then we'll talk about the part of her story that made me excited yeah go ahead okay um this is from jacqueline lee and she was on instagram and she said just found you and will be keeping you hoping to be back with our second babe whenever they come along i would love to share my stories when that time comes I have been listening to your podcast and love how informative and diverse they are. Our first was born in Paraguay when we were teaching. She was breech, and so I had a C-section, hoping for a vertex baby to be able to have a V-back. But I did labor with our first till an eight, and it was a wild story full of funny cultural differences and language barriers. So I love that. I remember when she wrote us that we were like, oh, you're so sweet. Like, can we, can we put you on a review? And she's like, yes, please do. So we're so excited that she was able to share her review. And we hope that when the time comes, she will be able to rock her V back and have an amazing story. And then hopefully one day be on the podcast as well. That's (laughs) awesome. I'm, I'm excited. It just makes me happy when people come full circle and share they're listening to the podcast and then share their stories on the podcast. And it's just fun because, you know, we've been doing this feedback link thing for, oh my gosh, it'll be three years in May. And 
it's really fun because when we first started out, like I was literally stalking hashtags on Instagram to find people who had a VBAC to share their stories on our podcast. And now like we have way more submissions than we can even record. And to have people that like started out with us before they even got pregnant and then listening to the podcast and taking our courses and then sharing their story, it all is just really exciting to me. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Frankham and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right. Let me tell you, this is the thing that you've all been waiting for. I know you've been holding your breath for the last few minutes, just waiting to see what could possibly get me so excited about her story. And it's little C antibodies. And if you don't know what that means, you are not the only one. Because Sarah reached out to us on Instagram Messenger, I think it was, asking if she had heard of any VBAC stories or VBAC information about VBAC with little C antibodies. And Megan and I were like, what is little C antibodies? Like we like Yeah, I remember it's like I thought, isn't there a big C? So, yeah, big C and little C, and we're like, but what, is that capital? Like, yeah. is that like a capitalized? Like, what is a big C? What is a little C? We were so we did so we dug in and we found some research and on it, and it's really an interesting thing because it's not something that you hear of very often, but we're going to learn a lot about it in this episode. And before I go any more into telling how excited I am to hear the story. We should probably actually hear the story. So Sarah, why don't Hello. you go ahead and share your stories with us? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So obviously, as being a VBAC mom, I had a first child that was born via cesarean. She was supposed to be a birth center baby. And I was just having all kinds of trouble with back labor and not being able to kind of cope with everything. I don't think I I did as well preparing for her birth. And it was it was a lot. I I felt very um just kind of overwhelmed and I think my husband was doing the best he could, but looking back, I keep saying like I really wish I would have had some some doula support there. I think that's one of my my biggest regrets. And I actually ended up transferring to the birth center about halfway through my pregnancy uh, because I, I knew I wanted something that was a little bit less hospitally. Uh, hospitals make me nervous. And it's just kind of how I am. And unfortunately, I did make that call. I think it was like one of those 2 a.m. overwhelmed, not dilating any, and then going to the hospital. It was a lot. <laughs> So I labored pretty much all day, uh, got an epidural, and then um, I didn't have a very great supportive doctor. He just kind of came in and he's like, oh, this is what we're going to do. And oh, I broke your water, uh, by the way, already happened. So just not a lot of uh, consent, things like that, that I know now that I want and need as a mom and as a mom in labor for sure. 
So once, once it kind of came down to it, I think I pushed for about three hours and the doctor's like, well, baby's stuck. We're going to do a C-section now. I didn't get a whole lot of information about what that meant or what that would mean for me moving forward. It was just kind of happening in that moment. And I mean, I even remember the anesthesiologist, God bless her. She was amazing because she was the like the only person that was kind of walking me through what was going on, helping me stay calm. And she goes, well, the doc is going to put some pressure to make sure you're numb. And the doc goes, oh, I've already started cutting. So like I said, just didn't have a really great experience with my with my first being born. And then on top of that, coming home, I didn't know how to care for myself postpartum. We had a lot of family stuff going on, so I didn't have any family support. And then I ended up developing uh, both postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression that went undiagnosed for probably about three months before I, I realized that I needed to start reaching out and getting help. So as a result of that, I started looking around. Um, so that was about five years ago. I started looking around to kind of the birth community as a whole to see what information was out there. I found out what a VBAC was. And that's kind of how I found you guys is um, just kind of in that process, finding out what my resources were. So moving forward to uh, the start of the pandemic last year. So I found out I was pregnant and then a few days after that, my work went remote. So I was working from home in my first trimester with a four-year-old and it was nonsense. It was about as fun as it sounds. I always say I love my kid and I love my job, but I do not like it when they when they go together. So I I knew I wanted to find a different kind of provider. So I started looking around in my area and I found a midwife that would support a home birth. And my, one of my first questions to her was, do you support VBACs? And she said, absolutely. And she said it just like that, absolutely. And we had a wonderful conversation just kind of talking me through how many VBACs she supported through the years. And a lot of my first visits, you know, were on the phone and everything's weird and everybody's working remote. And, and I told her I was concerned because I'd had a couple of miscarriages and she, she's like, no problem. We can be proactive and, you know, let's monitor your blood levels. And during one of those first rounds of blood work, we found out about the little C antibodies. And I almost immediately called her and I'm like, what is this? Uh, does this mean I can't have my home birth? Am I going to have to go back to the hospital? It, you know, I was honestly, I was kind of freaking out. And she said, listen, uh, let me do some homework and we're going to see what that means. So she decided that we want to make sure we're checking in on this really well. So I drove, I'm down in Fort Myers. I drove up to Tampa General and that's about a three, three and a half hour drive and I talked to a specialist. So she's like a geneticist. Kind of, I don't know. She does stuff with blood work. So I sat down with this lady and she's kind of going through it. And the best way that I can describe what she was trying to tell me is your blood cells are kind of like they have different facets on them. So kind of like a diamond. And it's similar to that the RH, like normally when we hear about, you know, blood stuff and a pregnant mama, it's, it's that RH factor. So that, you know, we've heard of, that's fine, but this is kind of a different part of that same 
cell, but a different facet. It was very confusing, to be quite honest. But she explained that when they test my blood, they're looking for those antibodies because my husband has an antigen. So he's got something on one of his his blood cells that my blood cells kind of don't like. And as a result, my body creates these antibodies to try to attack it. And the really crazy thing is it's it's almost exclusive to VBAC moms because, or second time moms, but more commonly VBAC moms, because when they were doing the incision, um, some of baby's blood, some of my blood may have crossed over and that would cause my blood, my body to start reacting even way back five years ago when my first daughter was born. It was crazy at like, just the thought that that's kind of been in my body this whole time and I didn't know about it. Um, So that was, it was kind of cool, but kind of scary. And she said that the levels that they found were very low. Like it's just, you know, you've got a very low level of this kind of antibody that's freaking out on your, on your baby. Um, So we're going to keep an eye on it. And as you know, as your pregnancy progresses, if it starts to, raise, if that level starts to get more concentrated in your blood, then we're going to have to have a a deeper discussion about getting baby out sooner, uh, maybe not going to full term. You know, are we, are we going to have to have a baby before 40 weeks? I don't know. We'll keep an eye on it, that sort of thing. So every time I went to a visit with my midwife, we had to do a blood draw and it was annoying, but ultimately throughout my entire pregnancy, that level never changed for me. So thankfully, it wasn't anything that I had to really do anything about, but it was kind of always that little worry in the back of my mind. And, you know, it was just kind of frustrating because I had such an uneventful pregnancy before, and I just wanted that again, especially in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, Everything's freaking out in the world. Why can't I just have an easy pregnancy? And, you know, and then we go in for the the kind of midway through ultrasound, I went back up to Tampa General. My midwife here just kind of recommended it because you know, she's always says like, if there's anything to find, they're going to be, they're really good. They're going to be the ones to cap- catch it. Tampa General is like one of the best hospitals in the state and their maternal fetal medicine is like top, top notch. So I, f- I felt good about going up there. I've got family up there anyway. So we just kind of made a visit out of it. And while we were there for the ultrasound, obviously I have to go in by myself because COVID. And so my poor husband is out in the parking lot with like, you know, the one bar of Wi-Fi signal trying to do a Zoom meeting with me to be able to see or hear anything. And, you know, he's he's got, you know, a few minutes to to see or to talk to me. And then they had a rule about we can't record and we can't have a phone or a video like through the whole visit. It was kind of crazy. So for the most part, I'm in there by myself. I'm trying to communicate with my husband on a weird connection. And it was frustrating. But anyway, so during the the second, the first, uh, like the 20 week ultrasound, they go, well, we're looking and we, we, we're not seeing that other kidney on baby. And I go, okay. And the, the doctor you know, was very reassuring. And he said, well, you know, it could be in a weird spot. It could be that, you know, it's, we're just not seeing it could baby's in a weird position. So we're going to have you come back in a month. And, you know, I, I was, again, just frustrated because I, 
you know, we're in this crazy thing. I just, you know, really why me, why my baby, why all this stuff? So we made plans come back in a month, but I definitely knew at that point I needed two things. Number one, I needed to check in with my mental health counselor. She specializes in just mom stuff. So birth related things, mom related things. She's awesome. And so I was able to talk to her and kind of talk through some of the things that were going on. And then number two, I knew that I needed a doula. And why on earth I waited so long, I have no idea. But I did I did find my doula around the 20 week mark. And then she was able to start checking in with me every week because I knew that if I was going into a birth that potentially had any kind of complications, I needed all the support that I could get. So you know, I just followed up with them as much as I could, as much as I needed to, and just kind of tried to identify in myself if I felt like I was stressing out too much or if I was letting things kind of overtake my mind too much just to know to check out, check in with my doula, check in with my counselor. And I think that made a big difference just trying to manage things throughout pregnancy. We even got a plan in place. So if we did have to transfer to a hospital, just having a bag packed that I could keep in my closet. And, you know, we talked about if it's in your closet, you don't even have to look at it. But that piece in the back of your mind that knows it's there will feel good about that. And you won't be so stressed. And that I'm very glad that I did that. It it really helped. And I was able to, you know, just kind of have that calm reassurance So as I'm going through, I get to the end of pregnancy. So we're still monitoring this little C blood thing. And, you know, we still can't find a kidney on baby. And on top of that, now I'm measuring ahead. So at 36 weeks, I I was measuring around 42 or 43 weeks. So I went on a low carb, low sugar diet. And it may have been before 36 weeks. It felt like a lifetime of no sugar and no carbs. When you're pregnant, all you want is pizza and you can't have it. And I mean, props to all the mamas that that do have gestational diabetes because uh-huh. that is that is so hard. And thankfully, I didn't have gestational diabetes. I just had to eat like I did. But baby kept growing and growing and growing. And we were worried that with if baby was going to be too big, you know, if there was going to be a sugar thing on top of everything else, that could be a problem. We wanted to make sure that the fluid levels in my uterus were good because that could mean that the kidney is working or not working depending upon kind of what's going on there. So my midwife and I really started having some conversations about, you know, do we want to go past that due date legally, you know, is baby measuring a certain size, like in the state of Florida, if it's baby's too big, she is not, able to do a home birth for me. So I was freaking out, you know, calling my therapist, like doing all of the things. I spent the week of Thanksgiving, like acupuncture, pumping, doing my spinning babies, walking the, like Mm -hmm. the whole list of things. I think I spent, I must've spent like at least a good hour of my pregnancy upside down on my couch, I think. Oh my gosh. But how much, how much did the baby have to like, how much could the baby have to measure at before they disqualified I, you? Do you remember? I don't, rem- I don't remember. I want to say it was 10 pounds, wow. but I think that's if they measure 
on an ultrasound and she tries to do as few ultrasounds as she can yeah. uh, because she, she very firmly believes like your body is not going to make a baby that's too big for you, you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so she, she's going to, she supported me as much as she could, but because we had to monitor all these right. other things, it was like, Oh great. Now we're finding out too much. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so Thanksgiving, you know, we're, we're doing all the things and that put me at 39 weeks. And so we had talked about doing the, you know, the famous midwives brew. So I took that on, I think it was Monday night of like that first week after Thanksgiving. And I started having contractions, getting all excited. And then everything like fizzled out, completely fizzled out. And I was like, no, but at least my body was doing something, which felt like it felt good because before with my daughter or my older daughter, we went two weeks beyond, like nothing was happening. I thought I was going to be pregnant forever, you know, all that stuff. So I, I was like, all right, well, at least, you know, we've got, you know, my body's gearing up for something. And later that week, I started noticing um, I was leaking a little bit and I wasn't, you know, is it, is it pee? Is it amniotic fluid? The world may never know, but thankfully my, my midwife has a way to find out with that little stick thing. So she, she's like, check the stick see if it's the amniotic fluid. We talked about doing a lift and tuck. Uh, Apparently, in addition to everything else, I have a weird shaped uterus that kind of has a forward tilt, which is probably why my first daughter was in such a terrible position and I had back labor because she wasn't able to move into a good position. But I know that now. So one more chiropractor visit, one more uh, visit to the acupuncturist, and then my midwife said, you know, let's, let's see what's going on. But if you have more leaking, let me know. And so that night I had, so that was Thursday. Yeah. So Thursday I had my visit with the midwife. We talked about all that. And then that night had a little bit more leaking and she said, okay, is it a little, is it a lot? I was like, it's just a little. And she goes, okay, well, we're going to have you try, try the brew one more time and definitely call me because now that we've confirmed that your waters have started rupturing. You know, we're on a time clock in terms of having the best chance for a VBAC. So we don't want to have like a long leak and drain out all the fluid and then, you know, get you into a bad spot where baby can't maneuver. So we did our last minute chores, made sure my daughter had a bag packed. I went to bed as soon as I could. That night around 1130 or so, I woke up with contractions. So I'm excited trying to stay calm, you know, use the bathroom, got my heating pad out. I was trying really hard to hold off and all my pain management stuff just because before, you know, I, I didn't have anything and now I didn't like want to waste it all at the very beginning. Cause I had like a 30 hour labor the first time around. And that's what I was gearing up for. My brain was telling me, you're going to have a 30 hour labor. It's going to be long, hold off as long as you can. So, you know, I went back to sleep and I woke up a few hours later, around two o'clock, and I felt like a pop and a gush and my water definitely had broken. And that was weird because I didn't have that the first time. Like I said, the doctor broke my water the first time around. So I was like, all right, I got to clean this up. I'm trying to let my husband sleep and be quiet. But like, you know, I'm like stumbling around because I'm having contractions and it's dark and I'm like tripping on things. And so I, I get to the bathroom and I'm trying to get, you know, just trying to get settled. And then I'm like, oh yeah, the lift and tuck. So I'm, I'm having to lift on my belly and like tuck my pelvis through every contraction. 
And normally I think they recommend that you have someone else do that. It's very uncomfortable. Like it hurts. But I knew after those conversations with my midwife, after talking to my chiropractor, they're like, this is, this is going to be what you need to do to help. So I, you know, I had that in mind and I felt the minute she shifted into like the second that she shifted into position, it was crazy. Like, I'm like, okay, now we're going. And it was around that time that things really picked up. And I yelled out to my husband and I'm like, get up. And so he wakes (laughs) up and he's like fumbling around in the dark. Like, I think he knocked something over, um, you know, but he calls the doula and she's like, all right, I'm on my way. And then he called the midwife. And because my contractions were not like four, I think what's the formula is like four, one, one. So four minutes apart, one minute long, one minute. I don't, I don't remember whatever her thing was. And it wasn't quite to that point. And so she said, keep me posted, but you know, we're going to, you know, just observe her for a little longer and keep me posted. You know, I've got my stuff ready. I can be on my way. You know, she's on standby. So he's, he's coming over and he's like, all right, you have to get out of the bathroom because our bathroom is like this narrow tunnel of like there's a wall on one side and a sink and stuff on the other side. And it's just like long. So no one could have gotten behind me really well or anything. He's like, you have to get out of here. And I was like, I don't want to. So he's like trying to push me out of the bathroom a little bit. And I was able to crawl out kind of in between contractions and I made it like to the foot of our bed. And I just camped out there. I was like, this is as far as I can make it. He's like, you're fine. So then my doula arrived. Like At this point, I have no clue what the actual timeline is, but I know she got there pretty quickly, my doula did. And she starts helping put up the birth pool, get the hose set up, and she's checking on me and he's checking on me. And I remember she came in and she's doing hip compressions and I'm, I'm trying to like move around a little bit. And I think mostly I just, I was on all fours and I was just kind of like swaying my hips and I tried getting up where my, my forearms were resting on the bed and I'm like, Nope, can't do that. So I just was doing my best to, to keep, keep on keeping on and using that low breath or the low, you know, the voice thing that they tell you to do. And that was super helpful. Cause I, I think just doing that, I knew And after taking, because I think I took three classes all in all. So I did the VBAC link course. I did another one through um, with Mama Stay Fit that she was on here um, at some point, I think last year. And and she was talking about um, the physiology of birth. So her Mm -hmm. class was really good. We love Gina. We love her. Her stuff is really good. So, you know, anybody who wants to know physiology, what your body is doing, her course really nails that. And then I did another course in person with my doula service and theirs was like birthing from within uh, based. So she talked about, you know, the vocalizations and movements and things like that. But one of the things that really stuck with me was contractions are going to be a minute and it's not going to be five minutes. It's not going to be 10. Like you can get through a minute. You can do that. And we practiced with like holding the ice in our, in your hand for a minute. And so being able to practice that and have that in my head was so realistic. And it just, I I think it really helped me mentally as I'm in the moment trying to go through. I remember I was trying so hard to like talk to my doula because I, I don't think I wanted her to, she was like rubbing my back or something. And I, I don't even think I could tell her like, I don't like that. Like it just so in the zone. But at one point, I did manage to tell her, 
like, I feel like pushing. And I was so scared because with my daughter, my oldest, I felt like pushing, but I was not anywhere near ready to push, which apparently, again, is a sign of baby being in the wrong position. But I was scared that that was happening again. And she said, okay, well, where's the midwife? And hubby's like, she, he told me to check on, you know, to follow up. And that was like an hour ago. So, you know, we call the midwife, she's on the phone. And then in the middle of that phone call, I go, I think there's something in between my legs. And Tara, my doula, Tara comes over and she goes, yep, there, there's baby's head. And oh I'm my like, God. Oh my heck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so I'm what? like, oh, okay. And the, she puts the, the midwife on speakerphone. So my midwife is literally in her van coming oh my way my and she goes, okay, so what's Sarah doing? What position is she in? What, you know, what do you see? And so my doula kind of takes over as the unofficial person in charge. And my, I remember my husband telling me later, he's like, I, I wanted to catch the baby, but Tara said no. Because <laughs> <laughs> she, you know, she's been to several births. So she, and she ended up, I think two weeks before that, one of the other moms that she supported, the same thing happened where the baby was born before the same midwife got there. So she caught that baby oh too. My, she's, oh my she's amazing. I love her. She's just an amazing person. And then she, she took over so well. But she, so she comes over and my husband at least thought to turn his camera on, on his phone. So we have this very dark video, but she, she kind of coached me through it. And I hear my midwife on the phone going, all right, she can, she can push. And so then my Tara's like, well, push, 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 push. And that my baby shot out like a little torpedo. She was so fast (laughs) and she had her hand was up by her face. So I had an unassisted V back, H back, because it was at home with a nuchal hand. And I just roared her out like a fierce lion mama. It was great. And I remember the first thing I said was, I effing did it. (laughs) It was like the (laughs) feeling of such relief after so much worry and so much planning and so much like just all of it just coming to fruition in this weird moment at like 5.30 in the morning and my poor midwife wasn't even there. And she, there she was. And I turned around and I started to look at her and I go, wait, what is it? It's a girl. And so Aww. I got to be the one this time to say that she was a girl. And that was, it was so important to me, but I didn't know it was until that moment, you know? Yeah. Aww. Yeah. So after that, you know, we, they tried to get me up on the bed and we're trying to, to get my placenta out and it kind of got stuck. So my midwife's trying to tell my doula, all right, like give her some traction. Let's try nipple stimulation. Like, you know, it, what, what's going on here? I was losing a lot of blood and it was probably 45 minutes later. So I had lost a significant amount of blood. Um, I've got a couple of pictures of me and baby. And I just, I'm looking like pasty in those pictures. And so when my midwife got there, she, she started going to work really quickly and she had her team. It was like, you know, just whirlwind of people doing stuff. It was awesome. And I know at one point they were trying to figure out where they could hang an IV bag. And I'm like, there's a hanger right there. And there's a flashlight behind the TV. Like I'm directing the things that are happening in my house and how I was so with it, I have no idea. 
but they quickly decided that I needed some more support that they than they could give just because of how much time had passed. So they did end up calling uh, an ambulance, which prior to all of the prep work that I had done with my therapist, I will tell you that that, that very well would have given me some major anxiety attack before, but I was able to just kind of roll with it. And EMS got me got me up, got me downstairs, got me outside. They were asking me questions. I somehow remembered my husband's telephone number at some point during all of that, which I don't think I know that right now. So the fact that I knew that after I had lost like half my blood volume was kind of a miracle. And the hospital, they had, they did have to go in and manually remove my placenta, which was awful. I think that was worse than giving birth. And I remember in all of that, I looked over at the nurse and I said, I need you to tell me what's going on because that's going to keep me calm. And the fact that I was with it enough to be able to ask for that was pretty cool. But the fact that I knew that I needed that again, because of all the prep work that I had done with my therapist, mentally, emotionally, like knowing that I had somebody that could walk me through what was going on just helped so incredibly much. So they, they got me patched up. They got some blood in me. And I was able to tell them, hey, I have this little C thing. Um, you might want to know about that when you're matching my blood type. So the doctor was able to verify all of that with my medical records and, and make sure that I got kind of the, the most specified blood for my needs just to help me get, get back up to speed. So that was, it was really cool because I, I knew that having that information and being able to provide that to the doctor just kind of on a whim I know that that made a difference in me being able to recover quickly because it, it was just going to help, you know, and whether it made a huge difference physically to me, I don't know. But I, I think mentally it was like, I am empowered and I have information about my body and about myself. And, and that was, I don't know, that was cool. So a uh, second degree tear, three units of blood, stayed at the hospital for a few days, but she was, she came like a little whirlwind and she's the coolest kid. Let me tell you. So I love that so much. I think, um, I think, oh, there's so many things I want to highlight in your story besides the cool little C antibody educational piece. But I would kind of want to speak a little bit about home birth because people are afraid of home birth and it's definitely yeah. not for everybody, but there's kind of a misunderstanding that midwives don't have as much medical knowledge and there's a higher chance that your baby will die or you will die or hemorrhage like in your case right like you were hemorrhaging and I just want you to know that like as a doula and it sounds like your midwife and doula and did the same thing but like as a doula I have seen home birth transfers and these midwives that have attended hundreds and hundreds and sometimes thousands of home births are very in tune and very on point and very, very particular about all the details around birth. And I, it was really funny because when you were telling your story, like with the nuchal hand and then after birth, like you were losing a lot of blood and they called the ambulance and everything. I attended a birth just like that, except for the midwife got there before the baby was born like a couple years ago. And just like, it wasn't even two or three minutes after the baby was born. The midwife was like, let's get EMS on the phone. Um, she was like having, putting pressure inside and outside of the mom's uterus, like 
um, to stop the bleeding. And then the ambulance got there and like we were arranging, like I was arranging for her son to go another way. And then her husband was arranging things and we were and, like, it was just so seamless. The midwife and the midwife was so calm and we transferred care and it was same thing. Like the, the doctor had to like go inside and manually remove the placenta. And then she had to have like two DNCs to actually two more oh, wow. like in the coming weeks to get the rest of the placenta out. And I mean, I guess the best way to describe it, like from my point of view is like beautiful chaos. Like it was an mm, emergency, yeah. but man, this midwife is just so skilled and trained and they don't take chances. They are mm-hmm. highly educated. They have, depending on if they're CPMs, like certified uh, professional midwife or licensed midwives, and you can be both in some states, they carry the same drugs like methogen and Pitocin to stop bleeding. They carry antibiotics to administer a few GBS positive. They have IV fluids that they can do. They are so trained and skilled that like if an emergency happens, they're going to be able to transfer your care to the hospital. They're going to know the things that they need to do to help you before you get to the hospital. And guess what else? The systems, there's this really cool system. I forget what it's, what the acronym is, but, um, as a student midwife, like I am familiar with all of these things, but there's this information like database where midwives can share their information with the hospital they're transferring to. Like while they're en route to the hospital, they're on the phone with the hospital so that when you get there, the hospital is like ready to receive you. They don't have to ask any questions. They just pick up where the home birth midwife left off. And I think that that's just something that people don't really realize happens. They think, oh my gosh, there's an emergency, then we're going to die when we're at home. Mm -hmm. But and granted, they're in extremely rare cases, things like that do happen, just like they happen in the hospital, but at no higher rate, as far as um, maternal and infant death goes. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's really important to know. And I kind of wanted to spotlight that because, well, nobody, I think, wants a home birth transfer, whether before or after the baby is born. When there's emergencies, these home birth midwives are amazing. They're amazing. Yes. She really, and and that was something that I had talked to her in depth about before because I had such anxiety with the hospital. And I remember at one point, I think it was when she came for my my home checkup visit before, you know, at however far along in the pregnancy. And I said, Hey, I'm I'm really nervous about if we have to transfer to the hospital, but I know that if I need to, I trust you on that. So I'm not going to ask to go to the hospital because I had asked when I was at the birth center with my my oldest daughter, I transferred because I wanted to, because I was having trouble and I wanted an epidural. So I wanted to make it clear to her to say, if, you know, if I'm going to transfer, it's because I know that you need me to transfer and, Mm -hmm. you know, putting that trust in her. And she, she kind of said all the same things that you just said, you know, she's like, you know, well, we have this and we have that, but if we need to transfer, you know, I am, you know, I have that on speed dial kind of thing. So, and, and I'm sure no matter what state you're in, like, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, rules and regulations and whatnot, but just being able to trust your provider, um, whether it's a home birth midwife or, you know, a doctor in a hospital, but if you can trust the person that you're literally placing your life in their hands to have them make sure that you're okay. I think, you know, that's, that's key too. Yeah, I I agree. I think most importantly is birthing with a provider in in a location where you feel comfortable with and having the trust in them and having conversations like that with your, with your midwife or your doctor, um, whether you're in or out of hospital. I think that those are all important conversations. Megan? Yeah. You've just been letting me ramble on over here. I know. Do you 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 (laughs) want to jump in? (laughs) <laughs> no, I just am in agreement with everything. You know, something, um, something for me is like, 
I really wanted a home birth, but um, my husband didn't feel comfortable with the idea of home birth. And I think that can be a hard thing too, is like the mom feels comfortable birthing at one place, but the partner doesn't feel comfortable with them birthing at the other place. And so I think sometimes that can just, I don't know, it can make it a hard situation, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so I just love so much that you didn't one that you didn't have to feel that way. But like, even with my situation, you know, in the end, like we, we really just like came down to it and I gave him all the education and facts on it. And he's like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah, I think that'd be fine. And then after we had um, a feedback and I had a similar situation, I only, we didn't find my blood. I, Hmm. uh, yeah, neither externally or internally, weirdly enough. But I lost I lost half my body's blood after my birth and passed out a couple times. It was really interesting. It's a weird it, feeling. It is a really strange <laughs> feeling. Like I remember like waking up and I'm like, why am I on the floor again? <laughs> and everyone's like, well, because you passed out again. But um, <laughs> even after all of that said and done, uh, my husband was like, now if we're having another one, which we're not, I wouldn't do it any other way, and we would totally do it at home. And so it was just so interesting to see like how that experience changed his perspective on where we birth, you know? So I don't know. And I just love that you had an educated doula and that you were, you know, had the midwife on the phone. I love all of it. And do you know, I actually don't think I knew that cesarean moms were higher risk for the the C. It's, I think it's just because of, um, there's a higher chance of the blood uh, passing through into cross contamination, they said. Yeah. Yeah. Which totally happens. Yeah. It can totally happen with a vaginal delivery as well. Like if there's a tear or something like that, but it's just, it's a lot more common for a, not that it's common to begin with. Let's be real. It's, <laughs> I have yeah. a weird blood thing to go with my weird unicorn kid that only has one kidney and my other weird unicorn kid that can't hear well. And my husband who has weird blood. So, you know, we're, <laughs> you we're need, a family of unicorns. You're not weird. You're unique. Unicorns. I like, I like it. We, unicorns. I have two girls. There's unicorns everywhere. Oh, yes. Yes. Everywhere. Yes, yes. <laughs> I love it. That is amazing. Well, wow. We are so grateful that you shared your story with us today. And it was so fun to come full circle from like our admin texting us is like, have you heard of little C? And I was like, little C, is that like big C? But like being kind of sarcastic because, you know, sometimes we hear some crazy things and she was like, no, like really like little C antibodies. And Megan's like, I've heard of big C. And like, I was major impressed with Megan because I hadn't even heard of that. Right. And so it was just so fun to like have that conversation in our memory and then have you come on the podcast and share. And yeah, it was just really neat to have you. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. And hopefully if there's another mom out there that has something like that, she'll feel less alone. Yes. We're putting it in our title so that if anyone searches for it, they will find it. Perfect. (laughs) Interested in sharing your VBAC? Head over to the VBAClink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbaclink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.